Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Quimby Melton. Quimby, please introduce yourself. Hi, Camilla. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Um, this is a really important topic, and I'm really excited to have the opportunity to discuss it with your audience. Fabulous. And Quimby is an expert, I would say. You have quite a depth of knowledge around how to mine data from web interactions and how that's changing over time and how we need to start thinking about doing that going forward. So I'm really excited to dig in. So the first big question I have to ask, because we both agree there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of people talking about the death of third-party cookies. It expands beyond that. What's really happening? It's a great question. It's an important question, I think. And I think there is a lot of confusing information out there about privacy first and the shift away from third-party data. A lot of times I think of it like living in the remnants of a supernova and, uh, you know, we're living amongst all that debris and it takes some time for all that to coalesce back into some kind of meaningful form. So a lot of chaotic information out there. For the record, I don't think that the information that's out there is always intentionally misleading, but I do think it's confusing. And I think the people who put it out there can be confused as well. So it's kind of a garbage in, garbage out quality to it, uh, especially when it comes to decision makers. So. You know, people that I, I respect very much um, and learn from, you know, I find that they don't have as holistic or actionable understanding of the issue that, as they could just based on this, this kind of confused intelligence that's coming in. So from my point of view, and I think one of the main causes is actually linguistic. And so I think people use cookie as a, as a kind of catch all word for all the web's many data, data gathering mechanisms. Right. So this would be pixels and cookies and uh, trackers. But in reality, you know, it's about much more than just browser level data storage. And I'm not sure that people are always aware of this. So, you know, to be cookie free doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're immune from privacy first disruptions. So as marketers, we understand cookies as something that's capturing information, usually first party on our website. So we're we're grabbing information as the user interacts with the website. Third party is a third party party domain that owns the cookie and is tracking it throughout the web, including through your website. Is that correct? That's correct. It, it could also be about access, right? So it could be a first party cookie that lives in your browser that they, they third party accesses. So it's both about a you know technology, right? And it's also about mm -hmm. a means of accessing information wherever it lives, whether that's, you know, in a database somewhere or in a, you know, a browser level uh, uh, file. Yeah, and then other data we're going to be talking about, I'd like to dig in just a little bit. So UTM parameters, uh, it's a URL-based description that you can pull into cookies, which will impact the lifespan, which I think we'll probably get into later. There's IP and device ID, which is typically at the device level, yes? or the device yeah. level, that's exactly right. And then there's server-side data, which is different than all these things. And could you dig into that just a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So all these different tracking mechanisms, you're, you're exactly right. And I think that's the the something that I spend most of my time talking about is that all of these technologies, all of these these systems are interrupted by privacy first. And again, you know, to make things even more confusing, uh, what interrupts them is also very diverse because it could be anything from a an ad tracker to changes on the browser level in terms of what data is allowed to flow to network outages. There's lots of different ways that this information can get both interrupted in the uh, in terms of input and also in terms of access. So up until this point, excluding GDPR, so let's let's not 
dig in there, but sure. excluding GDPR, it's kind of been the wild west. So there's information out there. We've been utilizing it and capitalizing it as much as possible. And anybody who's watched, I don't know, I think of the documentary where they explain how Facebook is using different algorithms to track so many things and then selling that information on. So it's the wild, wild west. And before we met for this podcast, you told me about the tragedy of commons and how this really applies to the situation. So I dug into it and yes, indeed it does. So if you could explain for our listeners what the tragedy of commons is and how it applies in this situation. Absolutely. Yeah, I do think it's a useful concept here. So, you know, it's an economics idea and it really represents a situation in which individuals have really unfettered access to a shared resource. So some examples are like there were unregulated common lands in 19th century Britain. And that's really where this this idea comes out of. There are free range lands here in the American West. Right. And this, these cases, animals would eat all the grass. And as a result, the land is no longer useful. Right. Overfishing cod. There's another example that caused a decades long fisheries collapse. And, you know, climate change is probably the ultimate example of the tragedy of commons, but also like kind of on a banal level, like public bathrooms are, a you know, kind of a human scale example we're all familiar with. But yeah. Basically, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a little bit easier to understand. So it's, you know, everything from the sublime to the, to the banal. But in essence, you know, really the lesson is that everyone's inexpensive, easy to access property is really no one's property, right? And so when we use these kinds of resources in an in a entirely self-interested way, we really wind up depleting the value of the resource, right? And so back to your point about what's happened to data on the front end, you know, the ways we've collected, stored and distributed data over the last 30 years, really, and marketers, developers and businesses have all approached it in a very self-interested, uncoordinated way. And I think as a result, we've kind of depleted the value of the ecosystem. This would be the, the, the way the ecosystem that moves data around on, on the web. And I think this is for hard and soft reasons, right? So human beings don't like or trust the system. Those are the soft reasons. And it's also failing technically. So there are hard reasons as well. So I think, you know, thinking of what's happened in terms of the tragedy of the commons helps. And also, you know, what we, what we wind up doing is turn around and saying, how can we build a better system, right? How can we build a more compliant system that allows this important social resource, namely um, data to flow more readily and be more valuable for everyone. We saw Apple and Firefox start making changes to cookie availability, what, two, three years ago? So, yeah, uh, 2017, that's exactly right. Okay, so, well, that's four years ago now, time yeah, flies. it's been a while. <laughs> so last I checked, Apple, they have completely done away with the third-party cookie, which is why a lot of people are seeing different returns or big changes in their paid search spend and other types of retargeting. They also have limited the first-party cookie quite a bit to a, a time range. And depending on the type of data you're collecting, even that can restrict the time range even more. Google's finally catching up. But where I'm headed with this is Apple has recently rolled out the ability to mask IP addresses. And that's a, a big move. And having seen how things have trended up until this point, do you think this is gonna be something that other browsers have to adopt as laws start to get put into place? I, I do, I think it's inevitable. And there's a couple of different, pro this idea of, you know, kind of going beyond the uh, browser level, the device level, and even the application level. So talking about this as a systems level problem, right? So, you know, Google's, they rolled out the privacy sandbox and they, you know, the reception was mixed, right? There were some other examples too, like ODOH, which is, it's kind of a long term, but it's basically oblivious DNS over HTTPS, right? And Cloudflare, Apple and Fastly put that together. And then Tim, Tim Berners-Lee, you know, the father of the, of the World Wide Web is working on something called Enrupt, which is kind of an anonymized data vault. 
And then of course, confection, our product is, is another example. So there's a lot of activity and ambitious activity in this space. And it's a really interesting zip code to work in. But, and as long as I think about the, the winner take all for, format wars of the eighties and nineties, when Betamax and VHS and Blu-ray and HDVD really were competing to find out who's going to be the dominant technology format. So I, I assume we're going to see something like that play out in this too. But, you know, the short answer to your question is, yes, I think we're going to see more of this going over time. And we're going to see more and more limited information and more and more disruptions on the, the client side, whether that's in a browser or a device. And so we really need to start moving and thinking, how do we build a better system, you know, in our from our point of view, that involves really looping in the server side and a lot of data compliance. But yes, the short answer is I think we're going to see a lot more of it going forward. We talked about UTM parameters. We talked about cookies. We talked about browser specifics and the timeline for when these things happened. Now, is this really a browser specific issue where we can figure out market share and how many people are impacted? Or is this a broader problem? So it's, it's both in the sense that we certainly can quantify who's going to be impacted. And I think looking back, you know, since 2017, about 20 to 25% of people, you know, those are basically the, the population that uses Safari and Firefox. And then when Chrome finally flips the switch and begins to operate more like those browsers, we're talking about the vast majority, 75% plus. So it can be quantified. Nevertheless, I think it's important not to get uh, stuck on specific technologies, specific browsers and devices. Because, you know, the, the shift to privacy first is really about more than tags and cookies and pixels and devices. It's it's really even more about who accesses data and who processes and controls it, which are kind of the GDPR concerns, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's really about the end of the way that marketers and developers have gathered and, online, and used online data for about three decades now. So, you know, this is frightening and disruptive, but it's also a really big opportunity to rethink the way that data moves around on the web. And we can build a better and more compliant system that works great for businesses. And also works great for everyday web users and gives them the, the privacy and, and control that they're that they're understandably looking for. Think about like the one takeaway, probably the most valuable for people is just realizing that when, we go, when they go to all these cookie seminars, right, they have all these webinars that are focused on cookies, that that is one very small piece of the, of the puzzle. Have you been burned by attribution? Are you tired of fighting with salespeople over target accounts and lead scores? We've all been there. And that's because traditional marketing analytics tools bolt onto your CRM and calculate attribution and engagement scores on the data as it is. And let's face it, most of the time, your CRM data is far from perfect. CaliberMind is unique because it pulls data from all your sources, not just your CRM, into a data platform. CaliberMind unifies your information, which means you can attribute dollars to website activity, standard Salesforce campaign activity, and more without wasting time in spreadsheets. Ditch the spreadsheets and check out a new way to analyze revenue data with CaliberMind at CaliberMind.com. As a marketer, I've seen B2B be quite a bit behind B2C and adapting to and meeting these new requirements, which is really unfortunate because this is happening to all of us at the same time. Ultimately, even B2B, we're selling to humans and trying to get in front of humans and human bike. Yes, exactly. so it's it's so critical that we as marketers really dig into this change and understand which technologies are being impacted because we all know i, I mean like i think about terminus demand base bombora all of these ip based uh technologies that are okay for now we really have to watch and see who like you said it's like the betamax vhs who, right. who's going to ultimately win that uh, race. But until that's decided, what 
are the mind shifts that B2B marketers really should be making right now and thinking about today? Right. And I think remembering that B2B, uh, B2C disconnecting is really important. And I like what you said about, you know, it's important for B2B marketers to remember that we're still selling to human beings, right? So sometimes I think that disconnect maybe is a little bit more emphasized than, than perhaps it should be because, again, you know, our target is, is talking to human beings. Um, you know, I think one thing that I like to, to think about a lot and tell people is, you know, aggregate anonymous data can be just as useful and actionable as personally identifying data, right? So just because you don't have first party, you know, data that's linked to a human being, it doesn't mean that you can't help, you know, fine tune your audience models and spot trends and make better decisions. And, you know, I think honestly, probably the most, some of the most useful data we have is, is essentially trends-based anonymous information that we can just see how popular is something, right? Mm -hmm. Or where do people get lost in the process in terms of, of moving from point A to point Z? So I think while it's important that we all start building and owning first-party data sets and, you know, probably reduce the rent that we pay to, you know, audience-based platforms that we, we all pay so much to, I still think it's, there's a place for non-personally identifiable information and that we can do really great work with that and make better decisions using that information. And I think one of the important things to keep in mind is that individuals' expectation that their online experience is personalized to their preferences is not going to change. Yes. And using this anonymous data in a meaningful way is going to be absolutely critical if we want to maintain that level of personalization. Because we know people like Amazon that have a product you log into and, and your preferences are tracked that way. No problem, right? They're still like, and a lot of publishers, they require people to log in. I think of the New York Times, Forbes, right. Wall Street Journal, all of those. They'll still have quite a bit of first party information that they can mine on their side. Mm -hmm. So can people use anonymized data and the interactions that are tracked with that anonymized data to understand people's preferences and leverage that to create that sense of personalization that we've all become accustomed to? And that's a really great point. I think that there are some competing, some competing demands that even come from the consumer level as well, where it's like, we want it to be proud. We want to, uh, you know, reestablish our privacy. Right. But we also want highly personalized experiences. Right. And that, if that demand, that paradox is not easy to fulfill. Um, yeah. I think maybe the trick to that is to start rebuilding trust. Right. And so if you move forward and the first thing you do is say, look, we need to rebuild trust with everyday you know, web users. That will open up all kinds of opportunities to begin to collect more personally identifiable information where you can build really great personalized experiences. So I think the real trick, the real critical factor here in terms of, um, you know, both on the systems level, rebuilding a system that actually works, right, is also on the soft side, you know, rebuilding trust with users that will open up the opportunities that we need to, to build great systems. So, Great points. So what advice do you have for somebody who's just brand new to the business world and thinking about going into marketing, what things should they be thinking about to really prepare them for the, the next state in digital marketing? So that's a great question. It's something I think a lot about just because, you know, I, I wasn't trained as a market. I was an English major, right? And so I, I spent a lot of time essentially developing, you know, professional skills through practice, right? And so a lot of times, you know, I'm in my 40s now. So I look back, it's like, well, what would have been great to know when I was 25 or something like that? So, you know, I think really the definition I've come down to is that the reason I love marketing is because it's a really great blend of storytelling and math, right? And so, you know, stories kind of help you move the turbine. They help you get the system spinning, right? But you got to have your eyes on the control panel in terms of making sure everything's working properly and to optimize your performance, right? And to answer really, really basic questions. So I think that marketing teams face a lot of really complicated paradoxes, right? You know, I mean, 
the roles are really vital on a marketing team, but they're also kind of also seen as kind of disposable. You know, I think the marketing team tends to get cut first when the numbers start taking a turn for the wor- turn for the worst, which is unfortunate. There's a lot of I think certain people in the C-suite and other you know, in other areas in the enterprise tend to see marketing roles as interchangeable and fungible, right? Like just get us another SEO person or just get us another, you know, someone to manage the website. And I think that's unfortunate. So a couple of years back in 2019, I wrote it, I posted an article on LinkedIn called Beyond Auteur Marketing. And I really wanted to wrestle with this problem and say, why is it that marketing of all the different disciplines in an enterprise has these complex paradoxes and has this kind of disposable access to it? So you know, what I came away with my best kind of operating thesis and the advice I would give to someone is, you know, the term auteur really affirms, it refers to film criticism, right? And it's this idea that the director is the author of the film, right? And I think a lot of times uh, marketers get bogged down in the creative aspects of their work. So this could be the images you're going to use on a website, branding elements, colors, things like that. And that makes it difficult to go toe-to-toe with really hardcore uh, quantitative disciplines like finance and legal and other types of pe- people that you're going to encounter in, in meetings, right? So what I try to ex- encourage young marketers to do, and, and even myself, like when I'm working on things, is to focus on the data aspects of it. And this could be you know, anything from trends, right? It could be any types of numbers you can use to, to make sure that you're able to, to have a meaningful discussion that establishes your value in an unambiguous way. And unfortunately, the creative aspects of our job don't always allow us to do that, you know, as well. When we don't focus on the more quantitative aspects of our job, right, we kind of make, leave ourselves open to, to, to scapegoating, right? When things go bad, it's easy to say, look, we're going to send this person down because the colors didn't work for us or something like that. So if we really want to have a seat at the adults table, I think, you know, we can say we're more than creative and raw awareness, right? We can help answer quantitative questions. And so from my point of view, I'm not just talking about impression counts or attractive uh, click-through rates. I'm thinking about systemic data-driven arguments that pull in all kinds of different funnel stages into a holistic argument about why something did work or why it didn't work. Having been fortunate enough to be at the company I'm at, I feel like we finally figured out how to tie revenue to marketing activity in a meaningful way. But now that a lot of the means that we've used to collect that information are changing or evolving or even going away, I think we're going to have a period of an adjustment. I think that's fair. And you know, the idea of watching for indirect lift, right? You know, you think of it like in terms of analyzing equities or something like that, it's very similar where you're looking for different signals, right? Positive or negative signals. And you're making your best educated guess on what's going on. And, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's not just about like turning in a spreadsheet or something like that. I think, you know, being the point person on your team who can digest all this information and say, we're seeing, you know, upward pressure here and we're seeing downward pressure here. This is a, this is a good thing. This is a bad thing. And this is why it's happening. Like that should be the CMO's job, right? Like that's his, his or her unique contribution within the C-suite. And that's the marketing team's unique contribution. So, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, the, what you want to turn over is not just a cold list of numbers, but, a, you know, an intelligent assessment, understanding of what's going on and why exactly it happened and how you can do more of it if it's working. So I think it's I think it's a really good point. And that's what's exciting about being an ops and an analyst is mm-hmm. you're part of that storytelling function, right? Like you, you're giving fair, yeah. you're equipping your executives with the story that goes behind the data and informing them on proceeding and, and lagging. Uh, I want to say indicators, but um, yes. No, I I think that's, I think that's accurate. And I think that, you know, don't get confused and say stories only exist in words, right? So, you know, when I was in grad school, I read, there's a cornerstone text about, about narrative, about storytelling. And it's a, it's a dry academic book, but it was, it was good nevertheless. 
And so it makes the point that, you know, for a narrative to be present, all you need is a chronological series of events, right? A, B, C, like that's a very basic narrative. And so numbers do that, right? Numbers can also help you tell a story. So just seeing you know, what you're talking about is, is really great, kind of fleshing it out and saying your storytelling is about numbers as well as text and, and characters and things like that. Yeah, you can't throw up charts in front of people and ex and assume they're going to see yeah. the same patterns you see. So whether or not you feel you're impacted by this data change today, you should be thinking about storytelling whenever you put numbers in front of anybody, really. I think that's accurate. And yeah, exactly. And and this, you know, that even goes outside of marketing, right? We were talking mm -hmm. about like how does an accountant or a finance person tell the story of cash flow, right? Yeah. And CEOs have to do this in terms of HR and recruiting, right? So this concept of storytelling is a very is a very powerful one. And it involves both numbers and um, you know, uh, linguistic narratives and characters. Awesome. Well, Quimby, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. I know I learned a lot today. Where can people find you online? Um, so anyone's interested in what we're working on, you can just go to confection.io. Um, we've got an overview page and uh, we've got some information there. Um, and then of course, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Anyone wants to connect there. And you mentioned a webinar? Yes. So, so back to the idea of, you know, some, maybe some tactical tips for young marketers, even people in, you know, who are, who are responsible for showing some kind of positive ROI on their, on their marketing spend. Right. So we worked maybe a couple of weeks ago with our with Echelon, who's our amazing investment team, and we had a, a webinar focus on metrics. And this was specifically about the cost of customer acquisition, right? And so, from my point of view, you know what you can find this on our website, of course. But really, I think the takeaway for for everyday marketers, something they can do is we built a spreadsheet out of this that I think people can use. And if you go to um, let me find the URL, it's uh, it's a Bitly link, so it's a short one, so it's bit.ly, and it's slash GC Funnel Sheet. And what it'll do is if you plug in your values, it's going to help you understand how they contribute to your overall pipeline health, right? And this would be everything from awareness down to sales conversions. There's some tips in there too about how to um, adjust things that may not be working and why they may not be working. So it's just, it's an inexpensive, not expensive, it's free. It's a free resource you can use to do anything you want to with it. And it's something I built with my friend, uh, Wayne Miller, uh, that we worked on Go Convert, which is the product right before Confection. So I was just hoping to share that with your audience in case people find it helpful, because in addition to important strategic elements we're talking about, it's a tactical tool I think people can use every day to, to make better marketing decisions. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calvermind.com.